Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, November 10th. It is time for a segment that we have not done in far too long here on this show. It's one of our favorites, and it's called Tennis Point Tuesday, where we break down all the latest gear and all of the latest happenings in the tennis world with our dear friend Nate Walrith. Now, I know it's a Thursday, but I hope all of you will indulge me as we have plenty of action to discuss on today's show. In particular, it's time for a deep dive into the 2022 next-gen ATP finals. The semifinals are set. We know the four players who are going to be competing here on championship weekend. We want to break down how we got to this point, forecast how we think things are going to go from here. We're also going to throw in a little ITA Fall Nats talk and, of course, update all of you on the latest gear available in the tennis world. And if we're going to try and do all of those things, I better have some help along the way. Thankfully, I do, as I am joined by my dear friend and returning champion here on our Cracked Racket show, co-host of our Tennis Point Tuesday editions of the mini break. It's our guy, Nate Walrath. Nate, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, my friend? I'm just to be on the show tonight. I'm glad we got going because I know we have a ton to talk about, but no, excited to see you again. I know I've been watching you on the tennis channel, seeing you do all your fun stuff, <laughs> living your dream out, man. So it's been cool to see be, be a, uh, a cheerleader for my guy and just happy for, uh, I mean, everything that you've kind of spoken to existence the last, since I've known you the last two or three years is uh, it's coming to fruition. So super dope to see you do your thing. I know you would be good at this. It's no surprise to me, but now the, the real world gets to kind of see you do your thing on the big stage. So congrats, my man. That's very kind of you to say we're in podcast form here, so I'm blushing just so all of you listeners know. And yeah, wouldn't happen without your tolerance of my nonsense, your willingness to come on this show every week. It's part of the grind here at Cracked Rackets to try and be able to cover everything in the tennis world. It's taxing mentally, there's no doubt about it, but you know what makes it fun for me? To get to chat with you every week. I look forward to it. It's one of my favorite shows, favorite things we do because we always spice things up and certainly the next-gen ATP finals format the event itself offers us the opportunity to do that before we do though you were in san diego for the ita fall nats one of the two major individual events in the fall college tennis schedule obviously we had the opportunity to cover that event here at cracked rackets if you missed any of it you want to catch the replays you can on our youtube channel in the end fiona crawley nishesh basavaretti your singles champion luchanik and tracy as well as Brodus and Chen winning the doubles. There was a lot of good action throughout the course of the week, Nate. You saw most of it unfold. Give me your takeaways from being on the ground in San Diego. Yeah, so that was my first time going out to the Barnes Center. Obviously, I'd seen it on TV the last couple of years with the San Diego Open. And how you picture it from TV is you show up to the event and you're like, wow, this place is like, they transform it. And it's a beautiful complex, amazing place to watch tennis. 
The backdrop is palm trees. Um, yeah, I mean, they have an academy there, the Stephen Adam, Adamson Academy there as well, one of the best academies in the country. Just a ton of awesome junior players. So in between match play, I was able to go check out some of the up-and-coming up rising stars. There's a, a nine-year-old, all up to 17-year-old, all these guys that are going to be playing. Um, actually, Svat, Svatsha's brother, Trevor Svat, is it Svatsha? Svida. Svida? Yeah, Svida. Yeah. So from so got, got to watch his little brother, Trevor. That kid's going to be very talented. And, I mean, he already is very talented. He's going to be very good at tennis. So fun to watch some of these guys. I mean, um, then as far as the ITA goes, I mean, that event is just top of the line. I mean, as far as college events goes, the level of play from – the singles courts, the doubles courts, both men and women was just loaded. I mean, we saw the Tar Heels for the, on the women's side. Just I think, I think they had four people, four girls participate on the women's side. Um, on the men's side, it was you had a couple of Ohio State players, you had some Michigan players. Like, so all the big schools are there and the best players are there. And it's it's fall season, so it's obviously not that same juicy environment that you and I kind of thrive off where it's like a rivalry match. But all these players are fighting for 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 points right for you whether it's utr or just to get the ranking in the right place and they're trying to get into form so cool to watch that get up close and personal get to know some of these players and coaches even more and i mean not a bad place to do it in san diego this time of the year so i know you got to tune into the action but i was just i would say my number one takeaway would be uh i mean i, I i've watched college tennis but like i hadn't doubted i guess to the women's as much as i had this week the women's tennis, like getting to watch those girls warm up, especially I was around the UNC girls the last day, watching Carson and uh, and Bear, uh, what is her name? Um, Fiona. No, not Fiona. Annika. Uh, no, uh, they're all on the court. The other, the other mm. one. Abby Forbes. Abby Forbes. Yes, there you go. Abby Forbes. Watching them hit cross court forehands, I just like felt like my jaw just kind of dropped. Just, <laughs> I mean, I was just stunned by the like how compact and how big and stable they were behind every forehand. And it was like just routine. And like Fiona was was watching with uh, Annika because they were hitting cross-court backhands and they just like stopped hitting. And they're just like, we can't stop watching. And I mean, it was that good. And just the level is amazing. I mean, you got the girls are at like 11 UTRs or something close to that. It's incredible. So, I mean, just to see that up close and to watch, I mean, them compete and the doubles as well. I mean, you saw this, this that's where the spice was. The doubles got it, they get into it and watching them kind of go after each other, watching uh, Michigan versus Utah that with Fenty and um, Gavin against uh, Patrick and uh, Bur- uh, Bur- what's his name? Uh, Birch is his name. Yeah, Birch. Sure. Yeah. Watching those guys go after each other was probably my favorite doubles match of the week. Just super high level stuff. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I think that's doubles is where I kind of love watching those guys. It's just that team aspect that we, that I think you and I both kind of uh, can get behind pretty easily. No, the entire event, the quality of tennis was spectacular. And just fun story for you because I don't think I've told it. Annika is from my hometown. And so she's my little brother's age. It's about a wow. six, and, a six, six and a half year age gap. And like yeah. I used to just destroy her as this little 11, 12 year old who's hitting in or 10, nine year old, whatever. And I'm one of the older kids. And, you know, she was obviously really good at a young age, so she would get to hit up a little bit. And, you know, again, I'm just like my memory is just absolutely destroying her. Now she's incredible. And I'm like, could I still get in her head? Maybe. Because mentally, you know, you never – you're like, this is the older guy. I don't know if I can beat him. Um, but, yeah, she would destroy me now. No, I'm Shout curious. Out- oh, go ahead. Our TikTok of Annika went like pretty viral, like low 60,000 views. She's the best too. She's also an outstanding human being. Love her parents. That team, interviewing the whole team is just, they're they're super entertaining. Their chemistry, you can already tell it's only the fall, but 
their chemistry, they're very in sync. And I think that's a team that's going to be dangerous. I've said this on other podcasts. I'll say it again. Fiona's the highest ranked right now. Abby is exceptional. They're all really, really good. Carson might be the most talented of the of the bunch. Like the things she can do, getting outside the ball athletically, you're just like you are going to be so good at tennis. The other player, obviously, we all feel that about coming out of the fall All American Consolation champion, seventeen and one after he wins fall Nats. Give me your Nishesh takes. I mean, yeah. So I mean, I watched him play his first round match. I think it was against somebody from Oklahoma. Can't remember who, but he just like I, I remember hearing the hype about him, and I've I've watched him a couple matches in the juniors. And I was just like, I, I kind of doubted into this match because he was it was him, and then Geronimo was playing against uh, Zhang, another super talented freshman. And I'm going back and forth, and Nishesh was just like, he just matched like he wasn't pressing at all. He wasn't he wasn't even like he was just kind of like getting warmed up. It looked like he wasn't like as as his opponent's level rose, his ball striking and his kind of tactic tactical um, awareness and strategy improved each match. Like. He just kind of like warmed him up him, himself up through the event and like his intensity picked up gradually throughout the event to where like he peaked in the final. Like he seemed like he was just kind of in gear one, just kind of working himself into the matches. And then by the end of the, I mean, after he played Fenty, I was like, this kid has a real chance to win this tournament. I mean, he played, I mean, his serve is good. His, his movement's good. His backhand, like you, you made the Djokovic comparison when I was talking, texting you about him when I was out there and I was like, at first, I was like, "Wait, what?" And then I started thinking Novak while I'm watching him. Just kind of, and I was like, "Wow, the way he can just direct, like half check swings when he needs to, pick it up on the rise, like when he serves and the guy a second serve and he gets a hard baseline return, he just can smoothly bend his legs and just pick that up so nice. I mean, he does so many things at a high level." Here's the thing. Athletically, he's not the greatest mover. He's a great anticipator. And what I love, to your point, is his ability to take things on the short hop. Because if he goes defensive, he's not going to track that ball down. But if he tries to take it early on the rise, guess properly, beats you to the spot, his hands are so quick. And it's his ability to serve in volley, the backhand volley, how he gets outside of it to create the angle— Physically, it's it's always been his knees, and I said it when he was 15 years old, beat Melon Hurry, and you know I said that's the best 15 year old I've ever seen in person. Now, I still think Kozlov at 15, I'd take over Nishesh, but like the weapons Nishesh has, tennis isn't the problem for him. It's the physicality. Will he be strong enough? Will he be able? You know, he's got bad knees. It's it's known. That said, from a tennis perspective, his ability to get outside the ball, his ability to drive it down the line, his court sense. I have no questions about his tennis. He's 17 years old. I mean, he was one of the guys of his age group, but 17, it shouldn't be this mature. No. I hope he can figure it out uh, physically wise, whatever that takes. I mean, if you, I mean, really hope that stays true because he's special to watch. His front court game was probably the most impressive of anybody that I saw at the entire event. What he's able to do on the pickups, I mean, Finn Bass played a pretty good match against him. He absolutely, like, he just, he just couldn't hurt him. He couldn't hurt him. He couldn't do anything. Like, Nishesh destroyed him. Like, even while on the good passing shots that were at Nishesh's feet, he's just picking up off the floor and following in for the put away volley. And it was just like, Finn wasn't even getting frustrated because he's just like, I have no answers for any of this stuff. Yeah. Other player I have to ask you about it because we already did the Elliot Spaziri thing. If you want to hear an extensive Fall Nats recap, go to the Great Shot podcast feed. John Parsons and I break it all down, men's side, women's side. I'd ask about Spaziri, but we did a whole thing there. The fact that he can do it with one hand's a joke. The other player I want to ask you about because what I'm happened sure to his, back he just, his left wrist is injured. He can't hit it. 
and so and and he made the final it's crazy it's like when this guy has two hands i'm telling you top 100 he's just that sort of athlete it just it just works but the other play i wanted to ask you about and again this is how you listeners know who to look out for futures challengers etc down the season's home stretch how good is Stanford's Connie Ma? I know she lost in the semifinals oh to Freeman, but Connie Ma makes tennis just look so easy. And you're just like, this is a joke. It's just like, because Connie Ma, you might not know this about her. We've talked about it with Colette Lewis on previous shows. She's brilliant. And I'm, I'm pretty sure she's pre-med at Stanford. She's at Stanford student more than athlete. That said, she is she's so good at t- I'm just like, if you want to be a pro you're really good at this tennis thing like it's just so easy her match against Carson was electric I mean I I got to watch a good chunk of that and the ball striking was ridiculous oh it's crazy the one time I don't have my phone taking a video she like chases down a nest a drop shot from Carson chases it down slides a a backhand down the line gets lobbed and hits the most casual tweener I've ever seen and makes it like it was covered and knocked off by a volley, but I mean, he, she hit it so crisp and just so much swagger on this. I was like, everybody was like, did you, have, did you get a video? I'm like, of course, the one time I don't get a video, Connie Ma is so talented repping the pure arrow, the best racket in tennis. So <laughs> her ability to just do anything like the forehand, she struggles with pace and she's not the biggest. And so she'd have to put in that work in the gym for sure to constantly be fit enough to you know, last through the grind, but like tennis is not her, the problem. It's just her, not. Yeah. Her, 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 like her six skills for, I mean, her six skills are ridiculous. She, that racket is an extension of her little Ange de Burr, like on some of those shots. So the sophomore class on the women's side, where I think there are just pros, Carson Tangillig will be a pro. Yeah, yes. Savannah Brodus for Pepperdine, half of the yeah. doubles champion. Oh my yeah. gosh. It's just like, yeah, your first step. Her first step is crazy. Like the mm-hmm. amount of ground she covers, how fast it is. I was just like, there's a moment where she sprinted forward to cover something in doubles where I was just like, how did you get that? Like you could just tell right away, oh, she's going to get that ball. And it's just a joke. Connie Ma is a sophomore. Joke. Sarah that- Hamner, South Carolina. I don't know how much you got to see of her, but joke. Like there are more names I'm not thinking of right now off the top of my head, but the sophomore class is laughably excellent on the women's side. So just so you know. I will uh, – no, I think that event was eye-opening for me just to see the like how – It's much- a challenger. It, you, ex- usually I'm like there's three or four players that like, I take away from a tournament like that that stand out to me. There was – I could talk about 15 players and it was – yeah, I, I mean, Geronimo Espin from Utah, I mean, how good that kid is. And he was already top 700 in ATP. I mean, he's like a – a lot of his game reminds me of Kyrgios. Like, he just – everything looks so smooth and easy and just easy power, six foot three, long, covers court, has hands, huge serve. The double – I mean, yeah, I could go on and it's on. It's also like it, who wasn't there? Murphy Cassone wasn't there. Dostinik wasn't there. Maloney no. wasn't there. Like – there's a lot of guys who weren't there. Cannon, yeah. I'd have to include Cannon Kingsley or Monday. Like these guys, Mitsui. Mitsui's winning a future this week. Like he wasn't there. It's Virginia's college tennis is so good this year. And just I'm telling you, folks, if this pitch didn't sell it for you, uh, I don't know what else to tell you. With that said, 
we got some other things to discuss here on today's show, including the latest and greatest gear being offered by our dear friends at Tennis Point. And with that in mind, Nate Walrith, as always, I would direct people to check it out themselves, tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15 to let people know we sent you there. But tell me what's going on. What should I be looking for? What do we need to know as the seasons change and some of us move indoors? Going to go with shoes today is our topic. Ooh. Started off, guys, if you need an update on the latest and greatest from Tennis Point this winter, check out the Foot Doctor Zach Thomas's YouTube video just dropped today on the top five uh, shoes for all categories. So he's just got a very detailed video out there for you guys that have types of questions on what type of playing style slash foot that you have. That's really, I think, a lot of information that you guys would enjoy. Um, in my opinion, though, that what the shoes at the juniors, uh, really all players should be checking out right now, is the Yonex Fusion Rev 4. I I played with it for like two or three times, and I gave it a, a review, but I think it was one of those shoes that now that I've played five or six times with it and I've worn it in, it actually has like the playability that it's supposed to have, and it's one of the most comfortable, enjoyable shoes to play tennis in. I mean, it's it's fast, it's comfortable. You don't – like it's, it's the lockdown is tight. You're not – when you slide into a shot, you're not your toes not jamming into the to the uh, the the, the, uh, the the toe box. Everything's just com- it's comfortable. It's um, it's light, it's durable and it's super light. So I mean, and it's got the sock fit. So all the features that I look for, that's my favorite shoe on the market. Um, and then Asics is back. I think mean, having Asics Gel Resolutions Eight back on back in inventory is what a lot of these inventor- a lot of these juniors are looking to hear. Um, is Asics was up and down, and now it's they're, they're back. So check out the exclusive from Tennis Point, a cool black and red colorway. And then uh, last shout-out, we'll go to New Bounce. The Fresh Foams seem to be making their way on the tour. Cressy, Tommy Paul, J.J. Wolf, a ton of others. So there's a lot of high-performance stuff coming out, and it seems to be bringing back the youth to tennis, which is really cool to see these brands are doing. They're investing in and with players like a Nike and Adidas not dropping as much as they have in previous years. These other smaller brands have taken the uh, part of part of the market share away, and they're running away with it. So it's cool to see Yonex and New Bounce uh, do their thing, as well as Mizuno. So a lot of those brands putting out high performance stuff, and check out the Black November deals from Tesla. I love to hear it. What's selling best in uh, on the shoe department? Yeah, I mean it's like in g- general. I would like I think it's the Hypercord Express Two from K-Swiss is probably our biggest seller. I think it has been for a few years now. Not what you would have expected to hear, I know, but... Yeah, a um, lot of dads buying shoes right now. A lot of club players seem to be taking up the Hypercourt Express, too. So I think for your players' market, you're definitely looking at, like, the Nike Vapor Pros, the Joe Resolution 8, the Barricades. Um, and I think these Fusion Rev 4s are going to be taking up some of, some of that space here soon, though. Emilio Gomez just texted me asking for, like, a few more pair. I'm like, he's obsessed with them. So um, cool, cool to see that, that these other brands are going to kind of fight the fight and keep trying to be innovative and keep tennis young. I like the name drop. Shout out Emilio Gomez, USC Trojans. Let me also ask you this because I like how you casually refer to it. Although I just, I'm curious what percentage of mini break listeners or tennis players in general, I suppose, do you think can actually slide on court? Good question. I was thinking about that. Um, I'm going to say that's a great question. I would love to know the answer to that. I know. These are the field <laughs> polls. I'm like, swing vision. Can we add like a field poll where the AI is noticing anytime someone slides? Give me, I'm going to say 23% can slide. Ooh. I think that's a little high. Is that I high? Mean, yeah, because what percentage of people are actually active enough athletes and players that they're willing to go on court and slide around? I, I feel like you're, 
You're like, yeah, it's true. That's tough. I mean, well, that, well you know it, what I, this is a setup to say is that I can't slide. I've never been able to. The, well, you can't slide on a hardcore. No, the dirty secret or on clay, not comfortably. <laughs> the dirty secret is I am not a good athlete. Have you met my parents? Um, they'll like that. Uh, first of all, my mom would be like, I'm a better athlete than you think. My dad would be the first to acknowledge. He's like, look, you got a lot of things from me. That wasn't one of them. Um, that's, that's exactly what he would, I mean, that's how he would address it somewhat. Um, or, but then he'd try to be like, but I'm sneaky coordinated. It's like, no, you're not. Um, the, so I just, I have maximized what I can do. I mean, I could get stronger in my legs. It's just like, it's the flexibility and fluidity. That's not a thing for me. And so it's like I got to be in shape if I want to be in shape. And the one time I slid college before my sophomore year, we went and hit and I was playing. You so actually remember the, the one time you slid? Yeah, because so I was playing <laughs> so well. But like heh, I'm not – well, I think I already said what year of college. Whatever. It's the fall. Let's just say I may not have been sober. But I want – someone was like, let's go hit. And I was like, you know what? I would love to hit right now. And I played <laughs> – exceptional because i wasn't drunk i just was a little tipsy um and i'm loose i'm fluid i'm going for things i slide into a backhand i hit the backhand beautifully but i hear my hip go and i was just like uh i was like guys this is why i don't slide i was like i think i'm down um and thankfully i was fine it was just like a little hitch in the giddy up but like i was like and that's why i don't slide and so that is the one time i've slid i mean i've done it on clay courts to a lesser extent but that was the one serious slide of my life and never again no i I don't think i slide correctly because i catch myself sliding after i strike the ball more times than not where you're supposed to you watch the guys on the tour they're sliding into the shots so it's they're, they're using it as like a built-in recovery plant. I think I slide. I think I might just slide for, for show. I don't even know why I slide because it's it's definitely after I hit the ball. It's not it's not the uh, the traditional way that you see it probably done. My little brother can slide, but it's a very American slide. Yeah, my, my little brother's just slow. He just is. I mean, his top speed is fast, but uh, objectively. I mean, you watch him run, uh, and it's just like that's a lot of limbs in a lot of places. Um, <laughs> but he can slide. But the problem is the ball is always by him, so he runs fast and slides to stop. And it's like, you didn't need to slide. You didn't track that ball down. It was useless slide. Like, don't think you're cool. Um, but, no, it's just hard to slide, man. Like, you got to be really flexible, fluid, and have a purpose to do it. Yeah, and it's it's kind of something that you – I don't even know if I ever was taught to do it. I, I, I know I slide yeah. on my – inside foot i don't slide on my outside foot as much i usually slide on the one that's inside um but yeah it's something that you don't like i've never taught a player when i coached how to slide yeah it's a tough thing to teach right as well you kind of it's kind of a feel thing and again gruskins don't have feel in that sense fluidity wise in our hips that's not what we do we're good dancers good dancers bad sliders yeah we'll put it to a twitter poll can you slide on a tennis court be honest I think the answer is going to be under 15. I would say it's wow. pro- in reality, it's 8%. No, in reality, it's probably 6%. In amongst mini break listeners, it's probably closer to 
12 to 15 um because um, they're probably a little younger and a little more active um but and I, I think that was a compliment by a way to our listeners i just called them young and active so shout out to you the <laughs> listeners you're young you're active and maybe you can slide on court all right with that said tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 let's get into it nate dog let's talk about the 2022 next gen atp finals the field for those who don't know is, of course, missing a couple of players who would have been eligible. We could have had Carlos Alcaraz. World number one pulled out of the ATP Tour Finals. Sad to say, I don't think we were going to see him here as well. Of course, he's played this event before. One could argue he has nothing to prove. I would have loved, just spiritually, for him to be like, no, I'm going to play this event and send a message to my generation that I'm so much better than all of you that I'm even going to come here and just beat you all again. Obviously, in reality, can completely understand why he didn't play. Yannick Sinner, <sighs> I would have liked to see him play just because he didn't qualify for the ATP Tour Finals. He was a little banged up to end the year. Why not get a few more matches under his belt? Now, again, he's had success at this event before. He has nothing to actually prove. In reality, I completely understand why he did not play. Go hang it up. You've been banged up all year. Go get healthy. Turn the page towards 2023. That said... Send the message to your generation that you're the guy to beat. Michael Jordan would have done it. Um, the last guy's Holger Runa. He's now an alternate into the ATP Tour Finals. He just won Paris. Schedule-wise, that's the only reason he didn't play this event. Otherwise, he would have. And again, I He's think, we can, yeah, we can completely understand that absence. That's, I mean, I guess before I introduce the field, any thoughts on that little monologue? Yeah, I, I think I, a couple were just Carlos. I feel like he almost he couldn't play after that pull out against Holger. I think he had to kind of take his loss and sit out the rest of the year. It was like if you if, if there was any chance of him playing, he would have finished that match regardless of kind of how I don't know. I think he could have finished that match. I, I think he could have finished it. I thought that was one one thing. Other note, I think on Holger, definitely like he had three or no four straight weeks. I feel like of deep runs. Mm-hmm. I completely understand his body probably needs even at nineteen. Needs some uh, time on the pine to recover, especially if he becomes an alternate for the tour finals. And then center, that's another, like, I, I agree with you. Why Why would you not, you're not in the ATP tour finals. I get maybe he's banged up and he's recovering for the, for 2023, but um, that's a bummer not to have him in this event because this event is electric. And it's in Milan, which is just exactly. like, why not play in front of your home country? You know, it's because he's already done it. It's because he is banged up. And it's just like, it's time to yeah. turn the page for next season and rest up and then get training. And so I Better. do understand it, but it sucks. That said, feels awesome. I really like the field. And obviously the the field of eight divided into two groups of four. You had Lorenzo Musetti, uh, who ends up as your top-ranked player in the field. Musetti number 23 in the rankings. You have Brandon uh, – excuse me, Jack Draper, who entered the week number 43, uh, entering the event. You had Nakashima at 48. Three top 50 players in the next-gen field. Considering you're missing three others in Alcaraz, Runa, and Sinna, six players 21 and under inside the top 50 I think seven because technically Baez is 21 but he turns 22 at the end of the year still not the worst place for this next gen ATP 2.0 or maybe even 
I think it's still 2.0, maybe 2.5. Not the worst place for them to be. You also, top 100 players, 21-year-old Yuri Lachetchka, 75 in the world. He's into this event. Shunsen Sung, the former world junior number two, 89 in the world. He's into this event. The fun additions we see in the field. Francesco Passaro, 21 years old, ultimately gets in, does the Italian. You have Matteo Arnaldi, 21 years old. He gets into this event. I believe it was Matteo Arnaldi, right? Yep, leave that in, Super Producer Daniel Westhoff. My brain still works. But the place we have to start our conversation, the guy who has probably won over the field thus far, and again, that field, I'll do it quicker now, Musetti, Draper, Nakashima, Lechechka, Sung, Passaro, Arnaldi, and 20-year-old Dom Stricker, who finds himself 3-0 and after group play and into the semifinals on the backs of wins over Lorenzo Musetti, Jack Draper, Chun Sin Sung. Simply put, Dominic Stricker has been spectacular. And if you're a longtime listener of this mini break podcast, you know we got to go see Stricker up in person in Ohio this year. He makes the finals in Columbus, wins the challenger title in Cleveland, plays Yoshi Nishioka back to back in those finals. I tweeted it at the time. We knew Holgaruna was, you know, both guys, Holgaruna, Dom Stricker started the year outside the top 100. Everyone knew Runa was going to make a top 100, maybe even top 50 push. I said at the time, the real thing to watch for is can Dom Stricker make a top 50 push this year? Now, he was unable to do that. But this week, whether it be against Sung, whether it be in particular against Draper and Musetti, you see the weapons for the 20-year-old lefty who is into the semifinals. Again, most impressively, probably his 4-3-4-3-3-4-3-4-4-3 victory over Lorenzo Musetti. I ask you this Nate, because we have talked about Stricker a little bit in the past, but to see him dominate on serve on these indoor hard courts the way that he has, to see the weapons he possesses, your reaction to the 20-year-old's performance this week? Yeah, I mean, his he's been the most impressive player for me this week in all facets. I mean, his serve's better than what I, I remember being a few months ago. His movement looks cleaner. He's hitting like he had a winner in the second set yesterday or today. I mean, well beyond the Milano uh, logo, like he was probably three or three feet past that. A backhand just raked one cross court for a win. It's like he, he's able to get so much pace and length on his ground strokes now from any point in the court. He's taking returns from what from the outer thirds. I mean, and just well outside the doubles, like the non-existent doubles alley. Um and he's just striking the ball beautifully. The forehand looks aggressive. He's coming forward well, looks comfortable, kind of taking those smaller steps to knock off the volleys. His confidence is out, out, out of this world right now. I think Stricker has been he's, – he's a top 30 player. I mean, he's a top – he's got the goods. Everything he possesses is going to continue to get better. His body's going to continue to mature. And that Mosetti match was just – I mean, it was popcorn the whole time. I mean, it was the longest match in NetGen – uh, like history, and I had I had the people were saying the argument was like against this format was that it was like taking out the physicality of of the matches, but like clearly not. Two hours and thirty minutes is a crazy long match, and you saw the Italians cramping up when they played each other in that epic match as well. So it's like these matches are still super physical because there's a shot clock that is speeds up the pace. The change there's less changeovers, there's there's less dead time. So it's like these matches are still super physical, and it's I think the best players are going to win the matches just like they would in a longer format. 
Yeah, you look for Dom Stricker, just the numbers this season. Sorry, I got, I got thir- No, no, I because we're going to get back to the format. I want to hear your thoughts on all of those things. You look for Dom Stricker this season. He's made three challenger finals, two challenger titles, 37 and 23 overall on the season. He's winning 62% of his matches up to number 111. That's a career high for him to end the season and a good place to be when you're 20 years old. He might just get into the Australian Open main draw on that ranking, depending on who does or doesn't pull out of the event. But, you know, the big numbers, 22 and 14 at the challenger level this season, 7 and 4 in ATP matches. And you look for him, round of 16s in Stuttgart, Stad, Antwerp, Basel. He's doing it on different surfaces, of course. Back in 2021, he made quarterfinals in Stuttgart and Geneva. Now we see his weapons translating on these indoor hardcourt surfaces. And I don't think any of us doubt his ability to see those weapons translate to in uh, to outdoor hard courts as well. The big thing are the numbers when you look for Stricker, and I think this to me is probably most impressive. Looking at Dominic Stricker here this year, whether it be at the challengers at the ATP level against top 100 opponents, the serve is just real. And you look at the numbers for him here this season. Dom Stricker in those challenger matches holding 82.1% of the time at the ATP level. He's holding 86.3% of the time. In his 15 matches against top 100 opponents, he's holding 87.2% of the time. Now, the average top 50 player holds serve 82.4% of the time. Stricker at 20 years old is already above those averages. And what that tells me is what I see with my eyes and something you've alluded to. He just has the weapons. Like, he has the goods, the non-negotiables to play on his terms. And if you've watched as much tennis as Nate as I have throughout the course of the years, I like to think we're two of, I don't want to say the foremost scholars, but two could argue, some scholars have, that in our generation we've watched as much tennis as anyone. You just know the people who know how to play tennis, who understand the feel, the rhythm of the point. Okay, I have to take the ball a little bit earlier here. I have to do these things to play on my terms, but I know how to play defense. I have feel in the outer thirds when stretched. I'm comfortable moving forward. I'm just a tennis player. Dom Stricker, sorry for, you know, this is a student analysis here. He's just a tennis player. Like, he should have a racket in his hand. He's going to be really good at this for a really long time. His ability to take the backhand early on the rise, generate pace with the forehand, his comfort level moving forward. He hits all the spots with the lefty serve, slice wide, flat tee, flat into your body, kick wide on the ad. There's not a spot or a shot he can't hit. And the numbers tell me that that, serve and those skills translate across level. Now, the break percentages get atrocious. You know, he's breaking 20.6% of the time this season. That's 2.4% or 2.3%, excuse me, below the tour average of a top 50 player. Against the top 100, he breaks 14.9% of the time. That would rank 48th amongst top 50 players. He gets a little slap happy. He also, in those return games, because he serves so well, because he is going to hold serve, he Take some shots. Take some chances. It's also a fitness thing. At 20 years old, Dom Stricker is just not where he needs to be physically to be the top 30 player he clearly can be. That, to me, is the big thing, is this week in this format, the no ad, the tiebreakers, he's got the shots. Like, the tennis is there. It's the physicality to do that three out of five, the physicality to do that week after week against the best of the best and to not allow yourself to have any mid-match dips because the top 50 players will take advantage of them. 
I think for me, like the only thing I question is how fit will he get? I have no questions about his tennis. No, that's his only limitations as far as keeping him out of the top 30. Yeah, um, 100%. Because like his quick twitchiness, I, I think I'm just going to make up a word there. No, that's twi- exactly it. His twitchiness. Like, he is twitchy. It's not about the first step. It's about yeah. the sustaining. The Like he is athletic enough. He's no, just he's not, not an athlete yet. He's not like a superb athlete. He's not going to wow you with like some crazy like guy on one fees type shots. He's not going to like have that type of – but he's – Can I counter? He kind of does. Like, there are moments where that on-the-run slap forehand or his little flick of the wrist backhand cross. But Yeah, that's, I agree. He's got the quick twitchedness that, like, in, like, the torque. He's got this crazy torque yeah. like a good golfer has with the, with the core. All his power comes from, like, just throwing weight at the ball in, like, a vicious way. And, like, when, I, when you look at him and when you watch him play, like, I'm not, like, the first thing I don't think, I don't think right away, like, what a freak athlete. But I do think, like, the way he covers the ball so quickly and just – with a rapid that rapid turnover with his shoulders, he get he generates so much pace. He's hit he's hit some returns this week that I've just been like, how did he generate that much pop, like off that ball? Like where he looks to be a little bit out of position and he just scrapes the ball. I mean, he had some on the run shots as well that I didn't know he he kind of had in him. So no, I mean I'm not he's, he's a solid athlete, but I think he's got this a, a, a thing that some you see like like just this way that he can throw his weight around better than other players can. He has ridiculous hands, and I think his first step is elite. He's former 2020 Junior French Open boys singles and doubles champion, so the pedigree is there. I've been throwing around this name too much in my comparisons, but there's some jack sock to Dom Stricker, and just like you have one of those shoulders. You like hitting a tennis ball hard is you have the Cobra. Like it's not an issue for him. That's not generating pace out will you know, hitting bigger than your opponent, the bigger they play, the bigger you'll play. It's just a fitness thing. He's also got the bigger hips, the bigger butt. Like that's a body type, and it's managing that body properly because again. I don't question the tennis, and we've seen that on display this week. The five-set match against Musetti was just so good, so good. And I feel bad for Musetti. Like, talk about the worst possible draw. Not like, you know, Sung, Tricker, Draper, Musetti, the draw versus the two Italians, Pissarro, Arnaldi, uh, Lachachka, and Nakashima, which is clearly the easier group. But it's not just that. It's that it's two lefties for Musetti to play. Two lefties who go big on the serve, big on the first forehand. Brutal matchups for the one-handed backhand of Lorenzo. That said, he played well. There were two breaks in that match. Like, it was really good physical, as you mentioned, two-and-a-half-hour tennis, and Stricker just had the goods. No, it was not Mazzetti looked rough or Mazzetti was out of – no, and I'm not implying it was, but I wanted to throw that out there as well. It's like Musetti played well, and Stricker still beat him. Exactly. I think that's what I was so impressed by. I was like, wow, Stricker just took that match out of his hands. And he just – he has the, the swagger, the confidence. Like, he stays on – like, so, I don't know. He stays on every ball so well. I just you, you just believe that his stuff is going to translate. And he's going to make that, that jump physically. It just is a matter of time. I just don't see anything stopping him from kind of reaching his potential. He seems like he loves the game. And usually when you put that combination of talent, loving the game, that's where these guys take off like we just saw Holger this year. 113 in the live rankings right now. Do we see him top 50 next year? Yes. Yeah. I'll take top 50. Yeah. Who ends the year ranked higher? 20-year-old and ranked 113 Dom Stricker or 20-year-old and ranked 122 Ben Sheldon? Damn. Um, 
I have my answer, but I'm curious. I'll let you go first. Give me Stricker. I just uh, give me Stricker for now. I mean, I like I think Sheldon has longevity. Upside is higher. I think like you talk five years from now, that answer swap like swaps for me. But I just like in the in more of the interim, or, like I think Stricker is closer to putting more pieces of the puzzle together sooner. I'll say this: Stricker, Draper, Shelton, three lefties with but weapons. I, I love weapons. all those guys. No, I think Shelton passes Stricker in the rankings early in the season just because he has nothing to defend. He has the Australian Open wild card. That's why I think Shelton passes him at some point. But man, I think they both could end the season top seventy-five for sure. If yeah. things break right, top fifty for both because I'm I'm very high on both. And then. That's a big both, jump. You know what's crazy? Both can play next year's next-gen finals, and I think we probably will see both at them, I and that, that I see- is fun. Or Draper will be out of that by then. He'll be- no, Draper turns 21, I think, at the end of this year. So, yeah, he might be disqualified. Well, no, okay, so he'll be out. Okay. Yeah, I think he'd just okay. be out. But still, man, that's a – that's a really Kill fun me. group. And no, again, Alcaraz, yeah. Runa, Sinner aren't playing this event. And it's like you see already next-gen 2.0 is coming, man. That's what I'm saying. The window for the Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, Rudes of the world, like this is your window because there are more guys coming. Court is a little bit older than this, but he would apply to this group as well where it's like these guys are just going to get better and better, and they're all really, really good. Now that the big – this is just a quick thing. Now that the big three is starting to – I mean, obviously, Novak's still going to be top whatever, but as we see Federer and Rafa play, play less. Play less, and, yeah. It has definitely made me appreciate the up-and-coming guys that are coming out of the 300s in the world, 200s in the world, to, to kind of make the climb. And I feel like that has made me appreciate how hard it is to get to this level. And it's made me appreciate the big three even more because I'm like, wow. I mean, these guys have been at this level for this long – and watching these guys come up the rankings, I mean, these guys are incredible. It's It doesn't make sense. I also will be self-indulgent. I think that's the cracked rackets difference, my friend. I think I've converted you to the church of who's up and coming, which is very I'll, I'll give you full credit for that. Let me ask you this. January 1st, 2030, who's ranked higher? Dom Stricker, Ben Shelton, or Nishesh Basavaretti? <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Uh Who's ranked I mean, highest of the three? I, I really like Ben Shelton. I really like yeah. what he's got. That's he, my answer, close. too. Yeah. I mean, I'm not betting. Yeah, I watched him play against Casper Ruud and drop eight service points, and I watched him just play to the crowd. The energy is what he feeds off of, and he's got just different level of athleticism, his shot making. Yeah, his kick serve. It, I, I really like what Shelton could do in two three years. This is why you're a great guest, because you took that question seriously. Um yeah, I like. I it's a joke. Literally. Like, I mean, the shush is really good, man. That's all we're saying. That's all it's we're saying. Good. Yeah. All right. With Stricker hype in the books, let's move on to a couple of the other players. Two guys I want to couple together because they're both top fifty now, and they both have positioned themselves perfectly to take another leap forward next season. Both had various peaks throughout the course of the year. Of course, I'm referring to two guys who advanced to the semifinals, Brandon Nakashima and Jack Draper. Let's start on the Nakashima side of things. Three victories for him, wins over Passaro, Lechechka in straight sets, the tricky five-set win over Arnaldi to kick things off. But of course, ultimately, he did find his rhythm from there. You look for Brandon now. Since the start of the French Open, 30-14. and 14. 
overall in matches played. We have a two-thirds rule here at Cracked Rackets. You're winning two-thirds of your matches. You're moving up the rankings because you're making quarterfinals week after week after week, going two and one, two and one. That's how you go futures to challengers, challengers to tour level, et cetera, et cetera. Brandon did that. That's why he's top 50 to end the world. And you look for Brandon, he's held 87.3% of the time since the start of the French Open. That would rank seventh amongst top 50 players. He would trail just Isner, Kyrgios, Opelka, Hercats, Cressy, and Berrettini. That's the group he's been in as a server down the home stretch of the season. And Gil Gross and I joke about this. But it's kind of funny when you watch Nakashima because you'd guess the opposite, right? When you watch Brandon, you'd be like, oh, he's probably a really good returner, maybe struggles a little bit on the serve. It's actually the reverse case. He has been an elite server to end this 2022 season. Again, holding 87.3% of the time. That said, during this stretch, holding 91% of the time against opponents ranked outside the top 50 where he's 27 and 3 he's cleaning up against everyone he's supposed to as we saw in the Pissarro and Lachetka matches he's 3 and 11 against top 50 opponents and that's where the as a returner things kind of fall out for him now during this stretch he's breaking serve 18.5% overall again bottom 10 returner amongst top 50 players 23.3% against opponents ranked outside the top 50 Guess his break percentage against top 50 opponents since the start of the French Open. My hint is it's not good. 7%. Good guess. Price is right rules. You didn't go over 9.6%. It's better than Opelka. Like, congrats. That's it. Like, yeah. and, and the issue, would, yeah. well, I think he just gets a little aggressive. The forehand's still a little big, but yeah. Brandon goes after it in his return games. And I think it's a mindset for him moving forward that he's constantly working on. He's like, look, I can make clean contact with the return every time. I think it's about him developing an aggressive mindset. And that's why I think that break percentage is a little bit misleading. I think, again, against big serves, he probably gets a little too trigger happy right now. But I don't think foundationally I see anything wrong in Brandon's return game. I don't see anything wrong with it foundationally other than like where he – where he's positioned. Like, I think you got to either, if you're not dialed in and returning really well from wherever That's you, exactly it. Go on. No, I like that. Wherever, like, if you initiate your position in the match and one, st- and one point and you're not, you haven't seemed to kind of get into your, your teeth into a, a return game, you have to mix it up. And that's what you see Medvedev and these other top players do. Like, Zverev, they're all willing to change mid-match their strategy. And I think Nakashima has just been too one-dimensional with how he's going to go about his matches on the return side. It's like, when you're serving, you can't. You have to mix it up, just like when you're returning. You can't give any good server a steady diet of position. Like they, they're going to hit the one that works, and it's you're. It's like, are you going to really figure this out during a match? It's it's tough to do that. So, I would like to see him experience like experiment a little bit on on kind of where he's going to stand and try to try to get a little bit more of a start to get some momentum and or, or play forward, play a little bit up uh, in the court and take balls early on, on the rise. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, with pretty much everything you said there. I do think he tries to take, again, he tries to be on top of that baseline, which tactically I understand why he's trying to develop that mode because I do think when he takes three, four, five steps back, he looks very comfortable as a returner. No one's ever had questions about his backhand. He's looked very good moving forward uh, to the net. He has just developed great instincts. And again, against guys like Pissarro, who couldn't hurt him, Arnaldi down the stretch, he played front foot tennis. He played on his terms, and he continues to beat everyone he's 
supposed to beat. I also like how he went after the Lachetka forehand and said, no, your forehand's big, mine's better, and you're not going to be able to hit it with your feet set, which is really what you want to do. Brandon's he, played great on his way to the semifinals. Getting much better length on his forehand yeah. uh, the last three to four months of the season. He The forehand was landing very short in the court when I saw him in Cincinnati. I just like his backhand was exceptional as it is now, but uh, the forehand was more attackable. It was a little bit shakier. He was getting caught jammed like with his elbow tight to his body. And now he's getting more separation. I think that extra spacing has allowed him to get more length on every ball, which is obviously allowed him to take advantage of better core position as he's got guys on the defensive. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. And that's what makes for, again, why this event is so perfect for Brandon, for him to kind of establish himself as one of those guys in his generation moving forward. Obviously, he's played this event before, but now he's into the semifinals, has played really good tennis. I don't think Jack Draper's played his best tennis. I think he played really well against Lorenzo Musetti, although I will say I think Musetti was a bit of a dud for him. Certainly, unfortunately, to end his time in Milan. That said, doesn't make me think any less about Lorenzo Musetti as we established moving forward. But you look for Draper, lost three tiebreakers against Dom Stricker on day one. Now that match obviously aged better than it was in the moment as Stricker's played lights out tennis. But what I love for uh, Draper, plays a bad first set against Jensen Sung, a guy who moved him around the court physically, just didn't offer him anything for free. And then Draper's locked in since, winning six consecutive sets, wins against Sung and Musetti. He was broken just once against Sung, unbroken against Musetti, wins 90% of his first serve points in his last two matches. I mean, you look for Jack Draper this season, 46 and 18 overall, won 72% of his matches, 24 and 4 at the challenger level, but 19 and 3. At the ATP level, you win 59% of your matches at 20 years old. That's uh, 21 years old. You know, that's a really good year for Draper. 15 and 12 against top 100 opponents. Here's the other big stat for you. 10 guys on the ATP tour ranked top 25 in both hold and break percentage this season. Now the challenger numbers really helped Jack Draper. But even if you go by only his ATP stats, Draper is still one of those 10 players. And I think how well-rounded the stats present him to be is very much what you see with your eyes. 20 years old, the lefty can do a little bit of everything. The slice wide on the ad side is his go-to serve to set up the plus one forehand. He's confident moving forward. You know, I always joke about this. Oh, who am I blanking about this? We have the same. Oh, me and Kale Hammond have this conversation every time. Jack Draper's never missed a backhand in his life. And, like, as good as the forehand is, it's really how well he plays defensively on that backhand, the ability to absorb and redirect. That's why he's special. I don't know if he'll drop out of the top 50 for the next decade. I feel that good about Draper moving forward. Where are you? No, I think I've come to realize he's going to be around here for, like, at first I was kind of in a similar ballpark as Stricker. was like, is he going to be athletic enough to play these more extended matches and uh, just keep up with the physicality? I think he's starting to answer those questions. He's got a bigger weapon on the forehand side than I initially kind of seen. He's added more juice to that wing. He's the serves coming around. He's going to continue to improve that, that aspect of his game. I mean, as, I mean, as all these guys, well, they're only 21 years old, but yeah, the fact that he's already top 50 and he's still developing physically, I think he's, he's, yeah, it's like him and him and Stricker both have the last, this past year have been two of my favorite guys to kind of watch rise up the, uh, the challenging the challenger ranks up to the tour level. So 
I mean, Draper's so good. He's just, I think he's, he's another guy that I look to take. He's going to need to take a physical step forward to really reach his potential. But I mean, I don't see why that wouldn't happen. He's, he's, I think he seems plenty of motivated and um, yeah, I mean, he's played all the big tournaments this year and done fairly well. You just talked about his stats. That's kind of what I see. He's just a super steady player and he doesn't beat himself. I mean, he's not going to beat himself very often. Yeah, I think that's very well said. And to have weapons and have that underlying defensive skill set, that's why he's so special moving forward. Uh, All right. As we look at the rest of the field, uh, obviously the final semifinalist, Yuri Lechechka, who, look, he's got some weapons he brings to every match that he plays, particularly on these indoor hard courts, although it's worked on clay in his career as well at the challenger level, the serve, the forehand, they're non-negotiables. When he has time to set on that first forehand, he's going to work you around the court. And that's exactly what he did to two Italians in Arnaldi and Passaro here at this event. Now, he lost in straight sets to Nakashima, but only broken once in his other two matches. You look for Lechechka, 41-31 and 31 here this season, 17-9 and nine against or at the challenger level, 12 and 18 at the ATP level, 12 and 18 against the top 100. That set, you know, 74 in the rankings, feels about right. Like, I know what plan A is for Lachetchka. I know when he's on his front foot, moving forward, being athletic, he has some weapons. You've been on his wagon for a while now. I feel like you, yeah. for about a year, I remember you mentioned to me about a year ago, and I was, it kind of put me on his radar. I put it on his, like, on the radar for me, and I was, I started to tune in. I don't, I don't see the weapons that it requires to kind of reach top 40, top 50, but I think he's going to be a guy that has a nice career playing tennis for sure. I think he's kind of along the lines of a Mackenzie McDonald type player. He's just super solid, can move really well. He's tactically really, really, really good. And he's, yeah, he's just super steady. I mean, does everything at a solid level. He gets a little stiff on the backhand. You can attack yep. his forehand with pace because the backswing gets a little big. But again, when he has time, he has top 50 weapons. And that's why I think he'll be a top 100 guy. And we may see him pop into the top 35 at some point in his career. Now, I agree with you. I don't think he's going to be a guy in the mix moving forward. But I think he'll be around. I think he can have a very nice career, play a lot of slams moving forward. Because, again, will you better be oh, – okay. Ooh. I mean, Yoshi won the City Open. I don't think Lechechka is going to get a 500-level title, so I'll go Yoshi. But Lechechka is going to have – I bet Lechechka plays more slam main draws in his career. Um, and so I just think, again, if you don't have a weapon to disrupt Yuri's timing and he or, – or you're just not physically prepared, you don't have the, the quickness ready, uh, certainly I think he's going to get you. With that said – uh, you look at the rest of the field. Any takes? Uh, we already went through Musetti, but Arnaldi, Passaro, Tsung, any particular takes about any of those guys? I mean, not necessarily um, that are geared tw- towards any individual. I think the intensity between the Italians match, like how engaged the fans were, that stood out to me is just like, that's what that's what tennis is about. That's what I, when I watch tennis, I want to see that drama. I love the format of this event. I think it's bring, it's brought out the best tennis from these guys. It keeps it exciting, and I think, like, overall, this event is just, like, where I think tennis in general could start to head as we kind of enter a new generation um, with these, with these up-and-coming players and a new, a new era. Yeah, no, I like how well Arnaldi moves. Like, Arnaldi's an athlete. That guy is, is. fluid is. in the outer thirds. I'm not sure what the weapons are, but I like the underlying skill set. Same with Sung, who puts everything behind every ball. I just don't know if he's big enough 
But boy, is he going to be a nightmare to play throughout the course of his career. Um, and it's going to work across surfaces too. I feel like him and Moon are. They're tied at the hip. I'd be like, I don't want to play either of you in round number one. Pissarro's forehand's a missile, but if you can play pace to it or push him back, he gets in trouble. Be really good on clay. The quicker surfaces will be a struggle. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. That said, I do want to ask you about the format, but Stricker, Lachetka, semifinal one. Nakashima, Draper, semifinal two. Predictions, who win, Who advances, who wins the title? To win the title, I will take Nakashima. Ah, it's tough. I'll, give, give me Stricker. I'll, I'll ride the hot hand. Give me Stricker over Nakashima in the final in a uh, five-setter. Oh, it's tough, man. Jack Draper is so good. Um, yeah. That is Draper-Nakashima it? matches, I want to see it. That could be the final as well. I, mean, I know. I think Stricker beats Lachetka. I think the winner of Nakashima Draper wins the title. Because I don't know if Stricker can beat Draper twice. 4-3, 4-3, 4 And I just really like Nakashima's ability to go after. Actually, you're taking Stricker? Yeah. All right, I'll go, with Dra- I'll go with Draper because I worry about that Stricker-Nakashima matchup and Stricker serving to Brandon's forehand. I'm going to go Draper, but I don't feel great about the pick. I think there there's three clear front runners, and Yuri Lachetska played a really good finals to get to the semifinals and deserves a lot of credit. I will be most shocked, though, if he does end up as champion. With that said, the format, fast five, no ad scoring, the no alleys of the court, the crowd. Give me your take on all of it, Nate. So, yeah, I mean, we've, I think you and I have both been proponents of the no ad scoring for a while now. I think I was, it took me a while to come around to it. I was not a fan of it. I still don't know if I love um, playing myself. I mean, I still prefer, especially in singles. Doubles, I don't mind it. Singles, I love to have another chance on my serve. But I think just for view, like viewership wise and for fan engagement that's actually in the arena, I think the no ad scoring adds so much more drama and excitement and it limits, like, the monotonous do sad do sad games and just keeps the pace of the match moving with good flow. Um, I think the the no changeover and the quick warm ups just all of it keeps tennis as like there's always tennis being played. There's not a whole lot of dead time, which I think is key for our sport. Um, the no doubles alley. I don't know if I understand what the, why they had to take the doubles alley away. Is that is that just for what is yeah, that? Yeah, it's for? just aesthetic purposes. Just because you know it's only singles. That would mess with my head a little bit because, like, that's your target. I feel like my targets visually, like when I'm hitting an inside out for, like, I'm looking at the doubles alley to see like how much range I have to bring the ball in. So that would kind of mess with me. I'm sure I'd have to practice. Like, I'm sure these players get used to it quickly, but um, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing it. Like, I just think the court looks kind of weird with no doubles alleys. I don't know. Are no. you? It's strange from a geometry standpoint because everything does look a little bit more narrow. You definitely get used to it. That said, every tennis court has doubles alley. So why not just like unless we're making a hard switch back to that, and I don't think we ever will, just put the alleys on there. Make everyone comfortable. It looks that much more impressive when you hit a shot from outside the alley when the alley is that much longer. Exactly. That was that's my other main thing is like it's hard for me to gauge 
like depth perception on like how deep these guys are into the court or how wide they are on the, on the sidelines, because I'm, I use the doubles alley as like a reference point, like how many feet out there, but that, I mean, I guess that's getting nitpicky overall. The event is amazing. I think it's a great way to showcase our sport. And I think the players really enjoy themselves doing this event. I think they, they allow for the off court coaching is the same rules as the tourist testing, which is another awesome rule that they've implemented in my opinion. Um, yeah, the whole thing, man. I'm I'm all in on this on this format. I mean, I the best like- is is also best of five fast sets. It's we yeah, get I mean, at least an hour and a half. It's good. It's plenty of tennis to to determine who's the best player on the court every time. Yeah, like, especially for an event like this where there's not that much on the line. Like it's like it keeps it fun. It keeps it moving. Every point feels like it's that much more valuable as well, which is always important. It's very – and the crowd gets after it. It helps have three Italians, but the crowd gets after it. No, and that, and that to, like, when our sport has a fan, a fan, a crowd that's engaged, like, you can't beat it. It's like that's where we – like, it's the U.S. Open crowds, that environment. When we, if we can bring that energy to all these venues, our, like, tennis is going to thrive, and I think that's what we're all in for. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Well, with that said, that's your look at the 2022 ATP Next Gen Finals. Of course, we'll be back tomorrow to break down the semifinals. We'll stick with you all week long as we slowly pivot into our previewing of the ATP Tour Finals and then get into what is ostensibly the final event on the Pro Tour calendar of the 2022 season. That said, Neat Dog, before we go, anything you got to plug? Anything we should know about coming from the Tennis Point crew? Oh, um, we've got a, we're working on some things behind the scenes that should be exciting. Um, I don't know how much I can talk about. I, I will say we're, we're, we're about to shoot a, a commercial that we're pretty excited about plugging. I mean, guys, if you want to check out any of the ITA acts that we just discussed, we've got some awesome stuff out there while we were in San Diego. So check out uh, our Instagram, our TikTok, any, our YouTube. Um, but yeah, we're, we're hoping to pick up our, our content even more so and do m- more video for you guys to follow along our, our sport. And uh, just like Crack Rackets is doing, we want to cover the, the sport as much as we can and grow it as fast as we can. So, um, no, I mean, check out our social media. I think that's the only thing I have to plug. Check out the Pure Tennis Podcast. And, um, yeah, I'm uh, happy, happy to see my guy Gruskin back in a, in, in a podcast room because I feel like I was getting left out of the room. I, I had FOMO when you guys were out there. Yeah, no, it's good to get back in the lab with you, Nate, and obviously look forward to having more of you. We'll talk to you next week during the ATP Tour Finals, of course. Why are we able to do all this? Because of the work of super producer Daniel Westoff, who, as always, has a f- of an editing job to do. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for the fantastic Nate Walrith, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Nate, what do we tell our listeners? We tell them that's the break! And we will see you all next time. Thank you as always, Nate. Yes, sir.